Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Hey, welcome everybody. Happy New Year and thanks for stepping into the final episode of Inside Football, the podcast series here in 2022 with Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. Week 18 is here and the Colts close out the season against the 2-13-1 Houston Texans at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday in the regular season finale. Rick, Happy New Year to you. The end is here. Um, with that in mind, how do you feel about the end of the season? Do you meet it with relief considering the way it's gone or do you love football so much that you're still sad to see it end despite the fact the Colts are going to miss the playoffs well you know I think you and I are basically just like the coaching staff and and I would hope the players is that we you know we're going to prepare we're preparing for Houston like it's the Super Bowl I mean we're going to give the fans our best shot right down to the wire and all of a sudden it's just such an empty feeling here now I will have to admit that you know, the way the last five, six weeks have gone, it is almost a relief to be out from under it. Um, I love the game so much that I won't be away from football at all. You know, I will yeah. immediately watch the playoffs. I usually take a couple weeks off, um, you know, before I start really working on the draft, but then I'll, I'll get consumed with that. But, you know, it's uh, again, it's been very, very difficult. The good news for me today is I'm looking out on the reservoir. It's sunny, 44. <laughs> I think I'm going to get out on the bike. I'll dress for oh. but I think I'm going to get out for the first time in like a month, you know. So, yeah, so yeah. I'm, at least I'm going to get a little fresh air up yeah, here. Yeah, a little bit of a cold snap. December, man, December was nuts in terms of, of, of cold <laughs> oh, and, and chilly temperatures. I mean, we were in the negatives there for a minute before oh, Christmas. God. So I'm with you. It's, it's good to be back into the uh, – the 40s and 50s jacket weather here in January. Hopefully it lasts a little bit longer. So uh, before we get into the Texans in Week 18, let's briefly discuss what happened to the Big Apple. Obviously we don't spend uh, need to spend a ton of time on it. No. 38-10, to 10, loss to the Giants. And for me, Rick, I, I think in some ways that was the worst performance of the year. Yeah. Right? Worse than the second yeah. half against the Vikings. Worse than that fourth quarter in Dallas. I mean, the Giants just, I mean, let's be honest, they manhandled the Colts. They dismantled them, really, for four quarters. That was tough to watch. That second quarter, specifically, Rick, when the Colts got outscored 24 to nothing, that was just – that was ugly. Yeah, Matt, I think you're right. I mean, to me, it was the lowest of lows because in other games, even in some of those terrible um, unravelings in the fourth quarter, there were flashes of really good football. And, you know, in some games this year, we could say that our defense played very well you know, or our special teams was tremendous, but we didn't get it done. And, you know, this one, unfortunately, was just, you know, to me, it was one of those where all four wheels came off the car. I mean, it just, you know, it just it just unwound after that first quarter. I mean, that, you know, they went on that 31 to nothing run. And incidentally, that's the third time we've been over 30 on one of those. That's 31 unanswered. We had 32 unanswered and 33 unanswered. And that, I just don't know who does that. I can never remember that. I, I can remember bad teams, but not that. And then I think Daniel Jones just tore us apart. I mean, he really tore us apart. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a good thing in a perverse way 
in that sometimes I think you have to bottom out for the organization to really settle where we are. We can't we can no longer say we are a player away or we're this you know, we're real close but we just need this. No. I, I think what you have to do is you have to really critically analyze this last six weeks and you have to just tear it apart and you have to evaluate every single part of it with a real critical eye. Not a not a rose colored glasses. There's I don't think there's any question about that. I mean you know, we've been outscored in the Saturday regime 102 to 9 in the fourth quarter. I mean, who does that? And, you know, I walked out of there, and I'll just go briefly, um, and, I, and, I, and I'm only saying this because I think it relates to where we need to go, what we need to go from a general standpoint. I, I think, number one, the one thing that the Giants and Colts contrast, the Giants coming from 4-13, and 13, the Colts falling from a nine and six at one time, you know, to a four thirteen and one. You see one team that has had a meteoric rise, and you you've had another team that's just spiraled out of control. And so I think I think the three things that I walked out of there with is just, and I've always kind of known this, but they were really to me it was really evident in this contrast is coaching and X and O's really really matter in the NFL. And, and I'm going to say it, I've said it about 10 times, I'm going to say it number 11. Dable and Martindale have done as fine a coaching job. I've been in this thing for 40 years now as a coach, as an analyst, and I don't ever remember anyone doing a better coaching job that basically was able to maximize their talent, turn a team around, and getting more out of nothing than they did. I just think it was a great job. You know, Dable on offense basically, and we talked about this going in, Matt, basically played with four Google receivers, you know, if you count the tight end, which you have to, um, you know, and, and who who weren't even in the picture in the beginning of the year. And he just specialized them, and he got them to do what they can do and be complementary players. And then, of course, he built it smartly around Barkley, and the quarterback, and I mean, what a tremendous job. And then on the other side of the ball, you look at Martindale, and really, you know, really, you can't hardly name anybody on their defensive unit either. I mean, seriously. I mean, it is a marginal unit, to be honest with you. But what he came in there and did is he he established an identity, an identity of fear, really. I mean, you you know, a blitzing, heavy blitz, heavy volume, and, you know, I mean, does he give away some sometimes? Yes. But, I mean, he they establish themselves, and, you know, they're very difficult to play. And, you know, he did that without great talent. And then, you know, if you look at the other side, by contrast, I mean, I think really that our staff has confirmed it's not really qualified. You know, it doesn't maximize personnel. I can get into that if you want to talk about some of the positives. And it hasn't minimized a liability. And so, you know, I think there's no question about it. And you can't just sit there and say every week we didn't make enough plays. I mean, that's a statement. That is not – that's not a solution. You know, we got to have solutions to this. So I think coaching, I, I think we really have to um, – we really have to make that move. I think we've got to get a yeah. top coach in here, X and O wise, in leadership and all that stuff. I think – Number two, and this was really obvious, and I think it's it's started slowly and it's become very obvious to the nation. He got a standing ovation. 
it's quarterbacking matters. I mean, you can't you can't you can't play with below average guys. And Matt, you talk about it all the time. This is now a league of dual purpose quarterbacks. You have to have movement back there. It's not just about throwing the ball out of the pocket like it once was. You got to have movement. And basically, they drafted this kid, and nobody thought they should have. Mm-hmm. And he put on a show. I mean, at 19 to 24, um, 125 um, passer rating, a 90s, 90, what was it, 96.9 QBR. I mean, nobody does that. And then uh, 91 yards rushing, accounting for four touchdowns himself. So, you know, that just shows you the difference. You know, and, you know, we're trying to win with two veteran statues. I'm so happy that we're going to see um, Ellinger in the game. I, I still, I think he showed us in the preseason. I think he showed us against the commanders. And I think he even showed us in a small snapshot that he gets rid of the ball quick, that he's poised, that he can move. He had a 12-yard gain and then a sprint out completion. I mean, his accuracy is there. And I, I really think we made a huge mistake uh, once we went to him, to me, we should have stayed with him. Mm-hmm. And then when we didn't stay with him, when we when we went away from Ryan again, we definitely should have gone him with him in the in at the end of the season. And hopefully, he finishes strong and we get a little bit better idea. And then I think number three, and I don't know where this has gone. Maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the chaos that we've been through this year, the coaching changes, quarterback changes, the losing. Uh, the, the, the being routed, not just losing, being routed takes a lot out of you in the NFL. But we just we don't have the mental toughness the Giants do. The Giants came in and you know got after it. They were gonna they were gonna take us to the cleaners regardless. They were physically ready to go. We were not. You know we we started out pretty good, but we had no long term will, and they really just destroyed us physically. And we've seen it time and time again. Adversity hits <clears throat> and. You know, basically, we're finished. I mean, you know, it's been talked about all week, but it was obvious. You know, guys doing snow angels. We don't. We act like we don't do anything, and <laughs> we don't do anything. And then we have almost a questionable hit on their quarterback, and they come yeah. running out there with the city of New York to defend them. And yeah. I mean, I I don't know that that in itself is defines everything, but it is. It's, it's a symptom. Yeah, it's a symptom. Right. It's a symptom. You know, I I I do, I do think though what's happened, what we've overlooked, and this goes back to coaching and quarterbacking. One thing that that diverts from, though, is what happened, and that was they brought two off the edge. They had a free blitzer coming from our left, and we didn't have anybody to block it, and the quarterback didn't even look over there. I mean, he looked strong. I've written written it back about ten times. I'm going, you know, if you're going to release the back and they bring two there, you got to throw it to him right now. Right. And he he didn't even look over there, and I'm getting like, see that – that's bad football right there. But anyway, those three things are just observations for me. And, and really the only purpose in bringing them up today is not to pile on. It's just to say, let's let's do those three things. Let's, let's get coaching to where it should be. You know, uh, let's get ourselves a quarterback that we can win with. You know, and let's get mentally tough again. Now, you touched on it briefly. Do you have any bright spots going into the final game of the season? I mean, who are the guys that yeah, you're looking, no, I do. You're, you're looking I do to play because, well? I mean, it's going to be a really important offseason coming up. Yeah, I, I do. But, I mean, I think that there I think that there are some bright spots. I mean, you know, what? when you lose like this and you've had a terrible six games in a row, I mean, you you know, you, you, you everything, your hamburger tastes bad, your wine tastes bad, everything is bad, and you can't. You can't go overboard that way. I mean, I'm a critical analyst, but 
there are still some things to build on. Uh, again, I, I think Ellinger, uh, and I'm not talking about Ellinger being a starter. I just think, and I can't wait to see him Sunday, and he may fall on his face. But what I'm looking for is the Gardner Minshew, the Purdy. Um, you know, I'm, what I'm looking for is can he be that, you know, low-priced backup when we get a franchise guy. That's what I'm looking for. I'm in no way trying to say that that's Jalen Hurts or anything. So, you know, I think that with the brief time he's been in there, I'm a little optimistic. You know, the kid that I've really liked, and it's there the last two weeks, is Moss. I think Moss has really showed us something. I mean, you know, this week he was four nine three with 15 carries, and people forget in that Charger loss he was 5.4. I mean, I – I think he's shown us, and I always liked him coming out of Utah. I mean, he he will rip it in there. But what he's shown me a little bit is he won't. He's not afraid to bounce it. He's not afraid to slash it. So, I mean, I think that's somebody that is interesting as you go forward. I think the world of Woods. You know that. I mean, Woods has shown us, and we we don't use him enough. We haven't even figured that out. But I mean, this guy can climb the field. He makes big time plays. He looked terrific. Now got called back. So it's not in the in the box score. But he looked terrific on that screen. I mean, when he caught that screen and he showed some yak and gets downfield, I think you're looking at a terrific um, uh, a, a terrific hybrid going forward. And he he's a willing blocker. He's not great yet, but he's willing. Uh, and I think you know a little bit the way we use it. It just seems like that it's different when uh, Ellinger's in the game, in that he tends to find Pittman inside. Right. Pittman, to me, is never a number one on the outside. Where Pittman is very good, he's on the inside, like at the slot, almost like another tight end where the emotion is in there because he will catch the ball in a crowd. You know, he's a physical target in there. I thought he looked, you know, I thought he looked good inside. But, again, that's kind of coaching and usage. But, you know, he can play the role. Pierce, talented outside guy. You know, after all these years, he, he is averaging 14-5. He's way above everybody else. We have not used him at all correctly, and I, I don't understand it, but he is the guy that can take the top of the defense. But if you don't do it, then you're not going to get it. I did think for the first time we actually used some seven-man protection, and that's a coaching thing, but we actually got a big play. We actually blocked a couple blitzes on that. And then on defense, I mean, I can't – you know, I think Franklin has been real good, not just good, real good. And I think I know a little bit about linebacker play. I I think that he really – he is – you know, we say this with a lot of guys, but he really is deserving of the Pro Bowl. I mean, really, he is played at an elite level. Okereke, I don't put quite in the same category, although he has a million tackles. But a lot of his tackles come downfield. They come – you know, and and that's no fault of his. But I – and I really like him. He's very, very productive and really good cover guy. Uh, another bright spot, Flowers. Okay, Flowers actually has played decent as a defender, and man, you know we always say it. We want him to return it if it's even though every once in a while he'll get stopped on the ten, but we want him taking it out from nine yards deep. I mean, he is with this team this year. He is by far our only hope to score. Gilmore, damn good. I don't know how much longer. I don't know how much you can pay him. I don't know how much longer he's here. But he he is also a legitimate Pro Bowl player this year. The games we won, he ended up closing them out himself. Um, obviously, we talked about Thomas as the year went on. We had a we did a lot on him last week. But you know he's he is the surprise of the season. He's probably no, I'm not going to say probably. 
he has outplayed Blackman, which is pretty interesting. Now, Blackman has more versatility, as you see him playing in the nickel right now, but he's, he's no Kenny Moore at the nickel. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Buckner and Stewart are, are very solid. I mean, they would be they would be much higher praised if the season was going better. But those two guys are really, you know, they're guys that really pretty much hold up inside. Right, right. You know, Buckner gets some rush. I mean, that, that those are pretty good areas. So, I mean, you know, there's things, and I, I, I didn't even hit everything that's there, but those, those things right there are some things that I see that you can, you know, there, there, there are some building blocks, you know, and I, I don't know, we got to recover the offensive line. I mean, Nelson has played so, Kelly Nelson has been so subpar really for a year and a half. Braden Smith hasn't played to the level we projected. So, you know, you know, somebody, again, that, that may be a lot of coaching too. We got to get somebody in there that can max that out again. All right, well, let's dive into the Houston Texans. Let's turn the page, get ready for Week 18, yep. the regular season finale, and the Colts in the season, just like they started at AFC South game against their rivals from Houston. And believe it or not, the Colts haven't played a division game since Week 7. I think we forget about that considering the yep. way the season started, you know, so front-heavy with division games to start the season. But – these two teams tied all the way back in week one. It was 20 to 20 in September. Uh, the Texans at 213 and one, they can clinch the number one overall pick in week 18 if they lose to the Colts. The only other team that can claim the top spot are the Chicago Bears. If the Texans win, they would need the Bears to beat the Vikings on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Jaguars. They gave the Texans an old-fashioned beatdown last week. They handed yep. uh, the Texans their worst loss of the season. It was 31-3 to at home. It was the first time all year the Texans had been beaten by more than 18 points. The loss also sent the Texans, Rick, to 0-7-1 at home this season. First time ever they had a winless home record in franchise history. So we'll talk about their offense. We'll talk about their defense. Obviously, you know, they played in a bunch of one-score games just like the Colts. Nine close games, but they don't have much to show for it under first-year head coach Lovey Smith there. So what else do you want to highlight about the Texans going into this last game of the season? Well, you know, it's a couple things just to just to dovetail off what you said is you're exactly right. We played all those division games early, mm-hmm. and the irony of it is, the bummer of it is, we only have one one division win. I mean, we're one and three and one in the division. Right. Houston's actually two two and one. So you know, really, we need to win this game just to tie and not be the sole holder of last in the division. There's no doubt about that. Now they. They're two two thirteen and one, so you can't you know you're not gonna sugarcoat that very much. And um, I they to me it was unexpected. I did not expect them to get blown out like they did. Jacksonville is really coming on. Watching the tape, I mean they look good. I didn't expect that because really the Texans have really balled it in those three weeks previous. I mean they lost to Dallas after having the lead. They lost at the buzzer. They lost to Kansas City in an overtime. Uh, you know they beat uh, they beat the Titans. It, you know, and as you said, in some ways they started this death slide on the Colts way back in September. What you know, which is what I call the upset tie. I mean, I, I think when you look at them, uh, I think they are well coached. If you can say a two thirteen and one team is well coached, I I have a lot of respect for Lovey's three time head coach. Been to a Super Bowl, obviously lost to the Colts in that one. Uh, but, you know, he's also the de-, de facto coordinator, very sound, very solid man. Um, I like Pep Hamilton. I, 
I, I didn't think – I think there are some things that he's really a plus, and there are some minuses. But the plus is he's very, very creative, just like he was here. And I think – I'll get into what I think that they've done. They're very interesting in that uh, offensively, the thing to be alert for – is there truly a two quarterback system? And you just, that's just unheard of in the NFL. You'll see it on the high school level, occasionally in college, not very much anymore. But they are truly a two quarterback system with Davis Mills being the primary guy. And he basically is the engineer of the NFL offense. And he runs the typical NFL offense run, play action. Uh, throw the football, and he's going to be in there on third down, you know, when it's a passing down. And I've always liked Davis. So he was one of my favorites coming out. I think he's a little bit better than people give him credit for. He's played actually very productive against us. You know, in that first game, in that tie, he was 20, 23 of 37 for 240, two touchdowns, no picks, and he had a 98.9 passer rating. So he's, you know, he's not afraid of our team. And then they come in with Driscoll, and sometimes they'll come in by series. Sometimes Driscoll will take the first down, Davis will take the second down. Damnest thing I've ever seen. But Driscoll is an NCAA quarterback. I mean, he runs the package. He runs the the options, the zone reads. The you know they both run the RPOs, but he runs the zone reads, the R- designed runs, bootlegs, and he can throw it a little bit, but. You know, he's got a 4.0 average. So, I mean, you know, again, it's very interesting how they've done that, and I think it's they do a decent job of tell you the truth. The loss of Pierce as a running back has really, really killed him. I mean, he had 930 yards as a rookie and really playing well. I mean, playing exceptionally well. And uh, he's he they had to put him on IR. So you know now you know now they're playing with Ogun Bowali, who you do a real good job with his name. And you know <laughs> that's pretty you, good. You know, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I I did okay. And <laughs> Freeman, you know, and they're they're slashers. They come in there. They've really struggled though to run the ball. You know, particularly since Pierce has been out, it's almost fallen off the table. Um, I think uh, Burkhardt is or Burkhardt is really. Uh, really fine third down back. I think he's one of the best third down backs in the league, uh, you know, catching it and running it after the catch. Um, you know, we know a lot about Cooks. Cooks is a Cooks is an upper tier. He's not a Jefferson. Uh, he's not a C.D. Lamb. He's, he's not that premier guy anymore, but he's still very good. He's still a top-tier guy, and we all know he's had, you know, he's had six seasons of 1,000 yard years out of eight, and that that's with a not very good team and a lot of different quarterbacks. So he's pretty good, more solid in the slot. The guy that's come on a little bit just recently is Adkins uh-huh. uh, at tight end. They kind of, if you look at his yards per, it's pretty good, and they've been pushing the ball downfield in the seam seems to him. So look for us. Their offensive line, they have one real good player in Tunsell on the left side, the left tackle. Howard has been hurt, but he's back starting at right tackle, but he's really struggling. Um, you know, they struggle at center with Quisenberry. The rookie, you can get him on rookie at the left guard. So, again, they're a team, and they're like a most teams that struggle in the NFL. They're, they're, they can run, they can, they're decent run blockers, but they really struggle if they get one dimension. And then Lovey's defense is it's evolving strategy-wise. He's really made some changes that I like. I mean, he's really changed from – of vanilla, you know, and he was there when they invented it. I mean, he was the, he was he's gone from vanilla Tampa two and cover three 
to a lot more matchup zone, a lot more pressure on first down. Um, uh, his cover two now is no longer Tampa two. It's a match two. They'll play quarter, quarter, half. There's just a lot more variance and a lot stickier uh, coverage. And they, you know, they become a better pass defense. I mean, with all the lousy statistics, they're number 12 in, in the league in passing. They're very much like Eberflus in that they'll give yards in the 20, but they're pretty doggone good in the red zone. You know, again, they they play pretty good pass defense, and they can get to the quarterback. They've got some rushers. So, mm-hmm. you know, that'll be interesting in that sense. I think they've improved their secondary. It was horrendous a year ago. But, you know, they're they're a little bit better with the King and Nelson at the corners. And I think the young safety, Petrie, is really just outstanding kid. You know, they – yeah. You know they're they're a long way away, but really their draft last year. You know, and Stingley's not playing because he's injured. But the corner, Petrie, Pierce, Green, Harris—that's a Harris, a really good line. I mean, right. they had a really good draft last year. So again, you know, th- this is a team that, I mean, the reason they lose, okay, is they're 32nd in total offense. They can't move it. They're 30th in total defense. They can't stop it. They're 32nd in yards per play, and they're tied with the Colts at only 4.7. So they're they're not they're like the Colts in that yeah. they have no explosiveness. And then where they're really bad is they're 32 in the in the rush in the rush defense per game. I mean, yeah. now how do they win? You know, I always play that game. How do you how do you win? Well, I think they're I think they're I think they're a little bit better coached. Um, I think the dual quarterback system can be a pain. Uh, if you're not totally ready for it, I think Cooks is a is a uh, top tier guy, and like I said, defense it'll stiffen in the red zone. They can take it away. They're number seven. I just like Eberflus's defense. They can take it away, you know. And then they rush the passer. They're 18th. They're respectable in sacks. So you know that's kind of who they are. And uh, you know uh, we we got to be ready for it. All right, well, let's dive into them on offense. Let's roll out the blueprints for this final game of the season. And Houston's offense, stats-wise, a lot like the Colts, only scoring 16 a game. They're dead last in total yards, 30th on third down, tied for 29th in red zone offense. They're 29th in fourth quarter scoring on the season as well. I know that's always a big thing for you. Um, And last week against the Jags, they converted just two of their first 10 third downs they only had 13 first downs for the game, and they failed to score in their only red zone shot. Um, like you said, they're using a two-quarterback system at times between Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll, and it actually works out pretty well under offensive coordinator Pep Hamilton, uh, but their running game is woeful. Um, they only generate yep. about 88 rushing yards per game, and, and like you said as well, their top back rookie Damian Pierce, he's done for the year with an ankle injury. Um, they're using backs now. Dare Ogunbowale and Royce Freeman to replace Pierce, who was a top six rusher in the NFL at the time of his injury. Uh, Their top receiver, Brandon Cooks, who's over 500 receiving yards this season. He's one of only four players since 2014 with at least 500 receiving yards in every season in that span. And then, like you said as well, tight end Jordan Aikens is turning into a vertical threat for Mills in the passing game. So what else stands out to you about the Texans on offense as we transition into your must for the Colts' defense to get this win? No, I, I think, you know, we pretty much have covered it up to now. You know, I mean, I, you know, I do I do think that Mills and Driscoll give you a little bit of a problem. I, I think Mills would be a much better quarterback if he had a better surrounding cast. I think he's 
a little bit underrated. I mean, he's not he's not the athlete that we just played in Daniel Jones, but he he can throw it. He's a very accurate guy. He can move a little bit better than you think. As I said, he said actually he said two starts against us and one tie, one they got blown out, but if you look at his numbers beneath the, you know, beneath the onion when you cut it and you peel it back a little bit, I mean, his numbers against us are pretty good. I mean, he's played pretty well against us. And then, you know, the quarterback, as you said, Driscoll. Now, I tell you, the the, the thing about it is, is it's it looks easy on paper, but the only the only advantage you have is whatever quarterback's in the game. If you're a defensive coordinator, you know he's in there. So it's not like you have a quarterback like Jones who kind of does it all, and you're not sure when he's going to run a college play or a pro play. That's tough. But at least in this situation, um, you know you kind of know which guy's going to do it. But they're they're like you said they they are more effective, even though the numbers aren't good. But they don't they they look decent doing that. To be honest with you, um, I you know again the running game is really hurting. Um, now what I think they'll do after they really study us on tape and look at how much trouble that we've had with quarterback runs, and particularly last week it was just awful on the zone reads i wouldn't be surprised that they don't emphasize a little bit more with driscoll just you know because they're not running it anyway and i i wouldn't be surprised they do again you got to worry about cooks cooks has become you know he used to be kind of moved all around but right now because they don't have any speed uh he's become more of the outside guy who they take shots for with more in the slot as you said and again just be alert for adkins i think he's played a little bit bigger role the offensive line is not great. Um, you know, Tunsil is very, very good player, uh, but after that, it's marginal. And Howard is really struggling on that right tackle. Uh, he, you can you can crush him. He's, he's just not healthy. You can get after him. You know, Green is a rookie, and he's green. At, he green is green at left guard. You can get after him. So you know, when I when I look at this, I think the defensive musts okay for the Colts. Number one, you must you got to be adaptable. You you have to be adapt adaptable mentally and physically and technique wise to this two quarterback system. You got everybody's got to know exactly when Driscoll is in the game and and when Mills is in the game. It shouldn't be that difficult. But tr- 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 it's two separate offenses. It's a Saturday offense. In one case with Driscoll, it's a true NFL. And when you know when Mills is in the game. There's running game, standard running game. He will run the boots. He's a big play action guy. He loves to uh, half roll one way, like the old college when you were playing, half roll one way, a lot of throwbacks away from it. He likes to go against the grain when he throws the ball. And then Driscoll is, as I said, you might as well be looking at a Saturday, almost a wishbone-type quarterback when he's in the game. So adaptation in-game adaptation, in-play adaptation is critical. Number two, we absolutely have to dominate the running game, including Driscoll, because if this team can't run it, their offensive line will die. Mills will get killed. He'll turn it over because they won't be able to protect it. But you can't let them, you can't play flat. If you come out, and this is what you worry about in a game that is, quote, meaningless, if you play flat at all and they get a running game going with those two running backs, now you you know they keep you off balance, and then those two quarterbacks can do some damage, particularly Mills in that passing game with play action. So I think you know that is so important. Number three, 
you you got to have a situational plan for cooks on early downs you know first and 10 or a second and five downs that i call unknown downs uh be alert for him to take the shots you know he'll be either the z or the x usually on the outside and you know if they get a corner a young kid like flowers uh, you know, what they're going to do is they're going to play action on first down and try to take their shots. They know we're going to be single high, you know, literally every single down. And so, and they know that, you know, they know that Gilmore's really good. So look for them. And I think this is what Pep does well, is Pep will set the formation so that he can get Cooks on the ideal receiver. Now, we, if, if we have any sense, we will match Cooks with Gilmore. No question about it. And then, I think when you get in situational play on third down, I think the two key guys then are are basically you cooks and he may move around. Whenever he moves inside, you need to have you you got to make sure that you clamp him. And the other guy, if it's third and like three to five, the guy the guy they absolutely love is Burkett. No question about that. As I said, he is one of the best guys coming out of the backfield. And, you know, you absolutely have to take him away. Then number four, and I think this is really critical, and I kind of alluded to it before, get ahead in this game. Please get ahead. You know, we got ahead by three, and then we, but we couldn't, we couldn't extend it. And, you know, we got to get ahead and make their offensive line play. Make them one-dimensional. This is what we haven't done all season long. We've, we've allowed lousy offensive lines to not be stressed. And, you know, as I said, with the exception of Tunsil, you can go after all of them. And here's what happens to Mills, okay? Mills is a really sharp guy, and he's a real competitor. But when he starts getting a lot of pressure, you know, he's been beaten down so much, he tries to make plays. I mean, he – and I've seen him time after time throw it into a pep rally. So, I mean, this is the important thing is, again and, – and, again, the numbers, the numbers say they can't do this, run the ball – but after after you watch the Giants last week and you watch what the quarterback did to us, uh, we got to take a good look at that, and we can't take it for granted. We have to totally stuff that run, you know, have a have a plan for Cooks, uh, and then we've got to attack that pat, that that offensive line, and we've got to force and get the turnovers, get the takeaways. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. This is Inside Football. We're breaking it down. Colts and Texans, week number 18. That was the offense for Houston. Let's go to their defense now, guided by head coach Lovey Smith, who is that de facto defensive coordinator. Texans give up 24 a game, but that number is up to at least 27 points in five of their last six. And like you said, they're awful at stopping the run. They're giving up 168 rushing yards per game. And they've given up at least 150 in 10 games on the season. Obviously, the Colts are trying to take advantage of that this week. They're 30th in total yards, 30th in first downs allowed, and time of possession. Those two things go hand in hand there. But despite those bad numbers, they've got a budding superstar at safety. That's rookie Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. And just last week, he became the only player since at least 2000 to tally up at least 125 tackles and five picks in the rookie season. Jerry Hughes, the former Colt, he leads the team with nine and a half sacks. He's still getting it done in year number 13. And he was a major problem for the Colts back in week yeah. number one, if you remember. He racked up two sacks, three tackles for loss. He had a pick. He had a pass breakup. He had two quarterback hits and a fumble recovery back in September. Uh, Christian Harris, a really good rookie linebacker in that second level. 
And then Obo Okoronkwu, Rick, he's coming on at defensive end since being named a starter back in week 11. And that time he's got 24 tackles, five sacks, seven tackles for loss, all of which are career highs for him. So, Rick, there's enough talent on this defense to make life hard for Sam Ellinger and the offense for the Colts on Sunday. What else do we need to know about Houston's defense going into this last game? No, there, there, there is talent. It's a certain kind of talent, and, and I think it's, it's, it's good news and bad news, and, and I think the stats bear it out. It's actually a very athletic team, okay? You talk about, uh, you talk about the young kid, uh, Okoronkno, whoa, on the edge. I mean, he's really coming on, as you said, since game 11, five sacks. Uh, you know, Jerry's on the other side, Jerry Hughes with nine sacks, 67 career sacks, and he just he just ruined our day. You're exactly right. He ruined our day. with He changed the game, really. He had critical sacks and interceptions when we could have put him away, you know, particularly on our side of the 50, and he just killed us. And those two guys are really athletic. Harris, the young linebacker, is tremendously athletic. I think Kirksey is really a, a warrior. You know, he's been around a long time. He's been with him forever. And he's really a fine football player. Um, you know, I think Collins is a man inside, you know. Um, and, and I think they're corners. I think on paper, uh, if, you just, if you just look at personnel and bios, you, you, you think they would be better. And, you know, Lovey's a good coach. They're in sound in that 4-3. They're not, they're not real exotic. They're just the opposite of the New York Giants. But they're sound, and he's evolved. He's not vanilla anymore in terms of coverage. They do a lot of different things now on the coverage, a lot more uh, what I call matchup coverage. So they're, they just don't give away like they did a year ago where you could just pulverize their, you know, their coverage and they can rush the passer. But as you said, I just don't see them, though, as a physical 11. And that's what I think. If you can pound them, you know, you say, I always play that game again. You know, why did they lose? Well, they lose because they're 32nd against the run. They gave up five yards a carry. You know, their total defense is 30th. You know, know, their points given up is 26th. But – you know, if they get in advantage, like with us, they got on top of us. They got ahead of us. They never got in disadvantage until the very end, and then Lovey played for the tie. But they buckle up pretty good in the red zone. You know, it, it's as I told you before, and I think I mentioned it earlier in this podcast. I talked to you about it before, off, off, um, you know, off air. Is they're really a lot like Eberflus's team. They'll give up yards between the twenty. But they'll buckle up. You know, they, they moved down to 18th, but they've been better than that all year. But they're still in the middle. You know, on the pass, their corners are a little bit better. They're number 12. And then in sacks, they're respectable with 18. And they've moved back a little bit there because they got behind so fast against Jacksonville. Those three statistics were better. And that those would be the reasons that they can be, they can be trouble if you're not careful. And you mentioned that the edge guys – you know, the edge guys in Hughes and the young kid, um, Okoronkwo, I mean, those two guys can, you know, again, Okoronkwo's an undersized guy, so you can pound at him. But, boy, he can come off that edge now in a second. You know, again, uh, you know, Collins, I think, is an inside threat. We've had our guards are having trouble with guys. And then they use Cashman, who's a linebacker, and at times when they're on third down, 
he ends up being the fourth rusher, and he stands up. It looks like he, he is a linebacker, but he becomes the fourth guy in their element and gives them, a, a, you know, some problems. Um, you, you know, you talked about the backers. Harris is a lot like Okereke, really good loose play guy. Um, Kirksey probably, you know, is an older version of Franklin, very, very tough guy, can cover a little bit. And then you're exactly right about Petrie. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just lit it up since he's been there. Um, you know, tremendous amount of tackles. He's got five picks. He's got eight PBUs. He is, you know, he's going to end up being a real gem for them in terms of, of, of you know, of what they do. And again, as I said, Lovey's defenses uh, will give up yardage between the 20s, but they'll bone up inside that red zone. And the one thing they do a great job of is takeaways. You know, very, again, very much like Eberflus. The seven, all that other stuff, they they are seventh in the league despite a two thirteen and one record. They're seventh seventh in the league in takeaways, and so you know that's that's troublesome. If you're not on your game and you let them get a little bit of an edge on you, like we did in that tie, then they can do things to beat you, like rush the pass or like take the ball away and stop you in the red zone. I mean, so it isn't like they don't have. That despite that record, that they don't have some tools. Now, in terms of the Colts' offensive must, I'm going to go right off the stats here, and what I what my eyes tell me, I'm going to pound their front four. You know, I'm not going to let them rush the passer. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to pound them. I'm going to take that five yard average, and I'm going to prove it. And when they're in that, and they're a lot like us right now, they're all almost always in an over. They they do not they do not have a varied front on first down. And what they do to vary it is they bring guys off the edge, the nickel, the wheelbacker, the dime, a safety. Uh, their variance comes with a edge blitz on first down. But I am going to pound. I'm going to pound that open bubble. And then when I go over to the three, when I want to run strong, I'm going to power that three and block the heck out of that defensive end. And what they do to stop the run on the power side is, you know, and, and Matt used to do this all the time. They used to br- they bring everybody down. We call it a pirate. They bring the end and the tackle, and they slant them down inside. So when you're running strong side, be ready to bounce that, ba- that bad boy because there's a lot of times that defense will collapse inside, and you could get it outside for a big play. But I, I think at the end of the day, you just got to pound them. I also think Ellinger is a big advantage because they really love these teams, just like Matt's teams will go hard, I mean super hard to the ball. And I think a quarterback boot, a quarterback zone read can be very, very effective against them. Um, I think, number two, we got to hit them hard with play action, both deep and, again, against the grain. By that, I mean start the ball one way, bring receivers back over into layers, or start them strong and then bring them back out, but bring everything back across the grain, including the deep stuff, because you have to take advantage, again, of their over-pursuit, and their safeties are involved in that. They'll go hard, but those linebackers will go hard. So if you freeze them in there and you bring stuff back across, and this is stuff that Ellinger could do very well, then you're going to really do a good job. Now, number three, you got to protect the passer. I mean, people know that we struggle so hard with this. You know, they are a good rush team when they're heading the count. As I said, you got Hughes over there with nine sacks this year, uh, uh, 67 total. He had two against us in the first game. You know, and then you have you you have the rookie on the other side, uh, 
Oka Oka Ronquo on the other side, and he's got five, but those five have come lately. You know, and then you've got guys like Addison and Greenard. I mean, they've got a busload of edge guys they can throw at you. And then here's what I think. They got nothing to lose, right? They have nothing to lose. And so, look, all they've got to do is look at the last six weeks and watch people blitz us. If I, if I were Lovey Smith and I wanted to win this game, I would bring that house. I'd, I'd bring it 50% of the time. And, you know, and just, you know, we saw what happened to us last year, last week when they brought it, man. And it's a copycat league. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they blitz us to death. And then I think, number, the last thing and most important thing, and this is critical in beating Lovey Smith, you have to take care of the football. You, you, you have to have ball security. What do they do best? How do they survive? When they survive and win a game, and it was true against us, it's because they take it away. And you got to not let them do that. You can't let them win with what they do best. So take care of the football, and then we have to finish in the red zone. They'll bone up in there. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's a it's a relative strength of theirs, and it's been a Colts weakness. But we've got to see if we can fix that. You know, Sam did get us in there last week in the red zone. He does have the legs to give us an extra dimension down there. So, you know, maybe things will be looking up in terms of that red zone defense offense because, again, at the end of the day, to beat Lovey, you got to protect the ball and you got to beat him in that red zone. All right, Rick, to close out here, well done, by the way, on the blueprints. Um, to close out, I'd, I'd like to say this is for all the marbles, but it's, uh, you know, the exact opposite of yeah. that. I mean, the Jaguars and Titans will be playing for all the marbles uh, in the AFC South in that uh, AFC South championship game essentially coming up on Saturday night. So, this game, Colts and Texans, it's for draft picks. And these two teams are, you know, teams that are still fighting. They still want to win. They're still going to go out there and play and give it their all on Sunday afternoon. So what's your message, last message to the Colts? I mean, this is the last time some of these guys are going to be inside this Colts yep. locker room. It's the last time this group will be together in terms of how it's constructed right now. We know major changes are coming in the offseason. What are you saying to the Colts as they try to snap this six-game skid to end the season here? Yeah, and you know, as a coach, as a player, uh, as a broadcaster, I mean, we're all warriors. None none of us are, you know, we're not talking about the draft pick. I mean, that's for the pundits. uh, You know, that's for the fans, I guess. But, you know, from our standpoint, I know from a coach and player standpoint, you just have too much invested, and you have too much pride to go out and not go out and not coach hard. And so to me, the things that I'm talking about are this really is our very, very last chance to regain our football dignity. I, I thought that, and I agree with you in our opener, I, I, I think we lost it last week, and we lost it as a team. We can't point fingers. And, you know, we always just say what, what ends well is well, I don't think we can quite say that at the conclusion of this season. It isn't completely true. But I will say that a win will leave a much better taste in our mouth as we enter what will probably, and, and I think hopefully, be the most volatile offseason in years. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that you know, if anything short of a major rehaul, we're just kidding ourselves. So let's, let's just go on. But as a player, you're still playing for your credibility as an NFL warrior. I mean, that film is real. I mean, you can't, you're not going to erase it. What goes out there is who you are. We don't spin it. We're not lawyers. We're not politicians, uh, even doctors. We can't spin our mistakes. There's no doubt about it. That film is 
forever. That, that tape is forever. And this would be a great way to go out. You know, I think we hit bottom last week. Let's make that the bottom, and let's start the climb and begin the reboot for 223. Yep. And I think you made a point here, and I, and I think it's an emotional thing. When you have a band of brothers that have been through all this, um, a lot, you know, a lot we had good expectations, and it's all been bad, really. It's been bad lately. But I think in the end, you have a bond. And I think you have to tell them, and you have to believe it, that this really is the last time, the very last time, that this group as this whole will ever be together again. And let's see if we can be make this a happy, happy memory on this final day, and even a happy memory for our fan base. No doubt. No doubt. Indeed. Rick, fantastic per usual, man. And I know this season has certainly not gone the way anybody scripted or had hoped. Um, this is our last podcast of the season here on Inside Football. So I know if I speak for myself. I probably speak for uh, most of the fan base when we say thank you, man. Thank you for all the breakdown that you do. I know a lot of people look forward to this podcast every week because they want to get to skinny and they want to get up-to-date X to nose-wise on what the Colts need to do to win the upcoming game. So just really appreciate you pouring your heart and your soul into this job, into the podcast, and bringing it every Sunday on, on the game day um, you know, side of things as the analyst. So just want to say thanks, man. It's a pleasure working with you. I appreciate you know you making it light, you make it easy, you make it fun during the games, and uh, let's have one more ride. Let's have fun one more time this season and uh, give it hell on Sunday. Yeah, Matt, and I can't I can't say thank you enough to you. I I just respect you. I think you're the best in the business, and I and I I think without any peers, I don't think that anybody comes close to you. Um, you make it easy for me. You make it easy for me on the podcast, certainly <laughs> on the broadcast, and uh, it's been a real honor over the years here uh, to work with you. So. Yeah, let's look forward. Maybe we can pull one out this weekend. You got it, my friend. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it, man. Have a great rest of the week, a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you Sunday, man. Okay. You got it. That's Rick Venturi. And that'll do it for Inside Football today and all season long. But we'll talk to Rick periodically in the offseason on this podcast. He's not going anywhere. We'll bring him back for big moments in the offseason. You know, talk about free agency time and draft time and the uh, minicamp next summer. For Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you on Sunday. One more ride, Week 18, Colts and Texans at Lucas Oil Stadium. Until then, keep it here on the Colts Audio Network. So long, everybody.